Welcome to Practically Healthy by Dr. Melina, where each week I interview experts, celebrities, influencers to really get to the base of science of what can keep you healthy and then translate it into what you should do, what you can do, and then what you will do. So that's the most important thing because you can have all the best information in the world, but if you're not going to do it on a regular basis, you're not going to be healthier. So my guest today is a longtime friend of mine who has been a tremendous resource and inspiration for me with pediatric nutrition, so with my kids, uh, Dr. Tanya Altman, her, her, she's an author, she's a spokesperson for the American Academy of Pediatrics. She has an amazing integrative uh, pediatric practice in Calabasas, California, where she really takes the whole child into consideration. So We've got a lot of great topics to talk about today. Dr. Tanya, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me on, Melina. It's so good to talk. Yeah, we go we go way back. We've done media stuff together. We've done social stuff together. We've You've helped me a million times with my kids. So thank you for everything. But let's jump right in because there's a bunch of topics that I want to talk about. Um, the first thing I really want to jump into is this. It feels like there's been a huge surge in ADHD, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder or ADD, attention deficit disorder. Is it me or are we seeing more of this? And if so, is there any explanation? So those are great questions. And no, it's not you. It's not your fault. But yes, we (laughs) are seeing more and more cases of all sorts of focus and concentration issues, whether it's officially labeled as ADHD or ADD, which is one of the parts of ADHD now. Um, in kids of all ages in in the United States, and you know, why is this? I don't know that we've identified one reason, but I think it's sort of multifactorial, which is that term we use when there's a lot of things that come into play. And I think um, a lot of it is has to do with our culture and lifestyle here in the United States, right? So in other developing countries, they're not necessarily seeing this, but because our nutrition isn't that great, our kids aren't getting enough sleep, they're being exposed to too much screen time, they have a lot of stress and mental health issues. I think all of this is playing a role and really interfering with their ability to be able to focus and concentrate and really excel at school. And so that's one of the things that I've been working on, you know, in my practice. Now, of course, ADHD, even in the best families, can still happen, right? So it's not your fault. It doesn't mean you're doing something wrong as a parent. Um, even one of my kids has ADHD. And um, and I'm glad that we were able to test for it, identify it, and then work on all the solutions to help him to be able to do well in school with his peers and really be successful. Wait, so this brings up, I have, I have, I have a million questions, but so I mean, in is is there less of an incidence of ADHD in in for example European countries or Australian countries and then I mean do we see it at all in places like Africa or what, what, I'm just wondering how much of it is nature versus nurture how much of it is actually uh, genetics predisposition and then maybe it's a two hit hypothesis where you have the genetics and then the lifestyle kind of unmasks the condition how much do they have any insight into that because that's I never even thought of you know the incidents throughout the world 
Yeah, I mean, that that would be really interesting. And I don't know if we have that data, but you're right. There's probably that genetic predetermination and then everything else, you know, lifestyle. I love the way you're sort of thinking about that. Um, there's also, you know, are we identifying it more now and treating it more now than we were years ago? So all of those factors come into play. But I think I think in all areas, all in all areas of the United States, um, we are seeing increasing amounts. Now, there was recently a large study out of Canada about micronutrient deficiencies. And the study was actually looked at if you supplemented micronutrients in kids with ADHD, would it help? And it did. But I also think that there might be something there with our food supply is not as nutritious as it was years ago, right? Even fresh fruits and vegetables, if you eat the best nutrition from the land here in the United States, it's deficient in a lot of that nutrition compared to generations ago. And so I wonder if that also plays a role. Yeah, no, I want to get back to the supplements first. But one thing that popped into my head is is diagnosis, because on some level, I get the sense that we're over diagnosing it, that it may just actually be these lifestyle components that we haven't fully appreciated um, versus, you know, because... I, there's clearly like I see adults with ADHD and it's or ADD and it is so clear when it's truly, you know, pathologic. So I'm just wondering, like, if somebody's listening and they have concerns about, you know, that their child may be uh, suffering from this, what are some of the things that they should be on the lookout for? And then I want to go into all of the lifestyle stuff that really should accompany any sort of ADHD or ADD treatment, because I think you and I, because you're integrative as well, really, if the lifestyle component isn't there, the medical will never be optimized. So first, what what are some of the things that parents should be on the lookout for? Some in case, you know, their school or their pediatrician is not being proactive enough or not, you know, kind of paying attention to these things. Right. So, you know, anything that your child is doing that seems different or unusual or challenging for you, please reach out to your pediatrician. So the most classic ADHD would be the child who just can't sit still, right? They're like, they have ants in their pants. They're always moving around the classroom. They're just being disruptive. But there are also those kids who are very quiet and not disruptive and just can't focus and concentrate enough to process the information coming in. And that can be a little more tricky. And that's why Thorough testing and evaluation, I find, is very important. Now, I know full neuropsych testing can be very expensive and is not available for everyone, but there are very small differences, and sometimes it's really hard to differentiate. Is it ADHD? Is it a learning disability? Is it anxiety? And so it really takes a trained expert to be able to work with your child, and this usually is a multi-day process to do a lot of testing and really tease out what factors, what is going on and be able to come up with that accurate diagnosis. And so I like to really start with getting that accurate diagnosis because otherwise you don't know what you're treating and you could be going down the wrong path, working on the wrong thing, the wrong treatment plan with that family. And while some of the lifestyle factors like the sleep and the nutrition and supplements are going to work for everything, ultimately, if you don't have that right diagnosis, you are not going to be able to do your child justice with what they need and be able to treat them appropriately and get them up to speed. Because kids with ADHD, they can still get great grades. They can still learn well. They can still go on to be very successful in life. In fact, some of the most successful people we have in our country have a little bit of ADHD, and that's often why they're so successful, right? It can actually 
be a benefit, but you have to get that diagnosis correct initially. No, that makes a lot of sense. And and certainly for optimizing medical treatment, but also for the learning intervention. I mean, I would think that would be critical. So let's, let's jump into the lifestyle stuff. Um, so tell us about sleep. How does that how does that play a role? What can we do to support? I mean, I know, uh, screen time is a big deal with this, I'm sure. But what else what should we be doing for our kids to optimize sleep? And by the way, that can translate into so much else. I mean, childhood obesity is a whole nother podcast. But all of these things that we're talking about, I think can translate into d- many different spaces. So what's important about sleep? It's different with different ages, what should we be doing and trying to uh, attain? Yeah, I mean, in general, most kids in the United States are not getting enough good quality sleep. And so getting that bedtime routine, that's the same every night where your kids are going to bed at an appropriate bedtime and getting enough sleep. And for most kids, it's at least 10 hours, you know, maybe for teens, they can get away with nine, um, rarely eight. But honestly, most patients I see are so sleep deprived that they really need that at least 10 hours of sleep a night to be able to catch up. So how do you do that? The first thing I do is I say, what time do you have to leave the house for school in the morning? And let's work backwards, right? And and so often it's getting that morning routine really, you know, drilled down to less than a half an hour so they could sleep in because we know everybody needs more sleep, especially in the morning. Um, I find that doing a lot of extra things like getting up early to play video games in the morning does not help. That just wears out your brain. So you basically want to wake up in the morning, get dressed, healthy breakfast and out the door to school. And then let's back up 10 hours and figure out what time that bedtime needs to be. And for younger kids, it's going to be more because they need 11 or 12 hours. As I said, older kids may be okay with nine or eight. And then you get that bedtime routine, um, you know, really solidified, relaxing. It can have some mindfulness some breathing techniques. And of course, screens, if you can get away with not having screens two hours before bed, that's most ideal. But a lot of our older kids, they're doing homework on screens. So there's only so much we can do, but the brain is not a light switch. You can't just say, okay, I'm shutting off my screen now at nine o'clock. I'm going to bed at 9.05. It doesn't work that way. Your brain needs time to wind down and get into that sleep routine. So that way you can get optimal sleep at night and then making sure their kids aren't snoring or other things that might interfere with sleep. Because if they're snoring or they have signs of sleep apnea, they may not be getting quality sleep. They may not be getting enough oxygen in their, to their brain and body. And so those are other things that, you know, we can work on there. And what about, um, and, and obviously the everything else with sleep hygiene in terms of having a very dark room, having the right temperature, things like that. Um, what about melatonin in kids? I know this has been a little controversial lately. I read a study that, what, how do you feel about that? Because I must admit, I'm guilty sometimes when my little one is super wired about giving him a melatonin gummy just to calm his brain. What's your opinion on that? Yeah, so I think there are a lot of supplements that we do use to help calm kids. Magnesium, chamomile tea, I think those can be very beneficial and helpful. And in sometimes sometimes I do use melatonin. Um, I think that it can be used. You want to use the lowest doses possible. Make sure you give it. I like to give it at the same time every night for like three to five or seven nights in a row to help reset kids' sleep cycles and then pull it off. But I do have some kids, especially those that maybe um, are on the spectrum or have some other issues where they do need to take it more long-term. I think the research with kids and melatonin is limited. So I do think we need more research on how it affects their brain, if it affects their brain long-term and how long we can use it for. Okay. That sounds good. So 
Um, yeah, the sleep is really important. And, and I also think maybe getting kids uh, to exercise enough so that they're actually tired instead of just sitting, especially after this, you know, huge periods of Zoom and, and not having a lot of school, but uh, in person, I think that that, you know, being tired too is physically tired, not just mentally is probably an important part of the equation, right? You're absolutely right. And I encourage all of my patients, but especially those with ADHD, to find a sport they like, whether it's group or individual. I know for my son's swim team has been really helpful, um, but exercise every day can really make a difference. Um, not only in helping you sleep, but also there's some data that these kids then focus and concentrate better when they're really being active and getting exercise every day. But I think the other thing too, I see this a lot with some of, you know, at this private school that we're at is, is not over scheduling your kids either. There's a lot of kids who have multiple different activities, multiple different extracurriculars, and then they are up until midnight doing their homework and chronically sleep deprived. So I think there's like, there's a balance there, you know, because we really are raising, I feel like a nation of ADD. I mean, I, I feel like I have it just in having to respond to emails all the time and texts and, you know, 24 seven news cycle. It, it's kind of overwhelming. So I think being careful not to overschedule your kids to even though you want them to get into good college, you want them to be successful, but they're going to be more successful if they're happy and healthy. So I think people, you know, remember that parents, right? I agree. And the brain needs downtime also. So one of the other things I like to do with my ADHD patients is I recommend they all, so everybody needs to spend at least an hour outdoors every day, but an hour of time doing nothing, sitting for at least 20 minutes on the grass, just looking at the leaves move, looking at the clouds. Your brain needs that downtime because like you said, we're all multitasking all day long. We're all overscheduled and the brain needs downtime every day to relax and be able to function. Well, I'm not sure that most parents and kids would do 20 minutes of sitting on their front lawn staring at the grass, but even just a little bit, like a little is better than nothing, I'll right? take five minutes. Okay, yeah. fair enough. Even bored. two. Remember when we were growing up, we would drive in the car and you would be bored all day long. Right. Now they're like, you know, on their um, screens. So that time can also be when you're driving in the car. Kids need to be bored every day. Yeah, that's a big thing. I, 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 it's amazing how quickly my kids get bored. And I'm just like, how can you be bored? Figure out something to do like that enhanced creativity and finding ways to entertain themselves. I think that's super important. I think kids have kind of lost the ability to entertain themselves and figure it out and use their brain and not just be numbed by this screen. It's, it's a little overwhelming, but, um, so let's, let's, move into like the nutrition and supplements. Um, I do like, I'm curious about the micronutrient supplementation. So micronutrients are just for those, the audience who don't know, like vitamins and minerals and even phytonutrients. It's not like protein, carbs, and fat, which are the macronutrients. So what kind of micronutrients are kids deficient in that may be contributing to, even if it's not flat out attention deficit, just even focus and concentration and optimizing brain health? Yeah, I mean, I think I think that's a great question. I don't know if we have the data on super specifics. However, you know, iron, omegas, magnesium, a lot of these do play a role. And so when you look at a lot of the research on what has helped kids with ADHD be able to thrive and do better, most of them do need iron supplements, oh, vitamin D as well. They're often deficient in um, the omegas because we just don't have as 
much healthy omegas in our Western diet, um, magnesium. And then of course, you know, zinc, zinc also plays a big role. Something we've heard a lot about during COVID too, zinc supplementation. Um, in terms of vitamins and micronutrients for kids, it can be challenging because a lot of kids, especially those with ADHD, they also have sensitivities to taste, right? They're picky eaters. So I'm often telling parents, the vitamin that your kids will eat every day is better than the ones you buy, no matter how good quality they are and how diverse and they refuse to eat. So it's this sort of balance, you know, with kids. And clearly I would love for everyone to get all their vitamins and minerals from nutrition, but it's not always possible. And that's where supplements, good quality supplements can play a role. And I think it's important to note that a lot of the ADHD medications can actually suppress kids' appetite in the morning so that they're not necessarily getting those three quality square meals a day. And I love, you know, obviously my whole thing about nutrition is to take a food-first approach, but I really think it's kind of myopic to think that we can do everything just from food every day. Because even me, if you did a food journal, if I did a food journal and did the nutrient assessment, I can guarantee you I wouldn't be hitting a lot of my targets for the day. And I know for adults, you know, magnesium is definitely a nutrient concern. Omega-3 fatty acids, you know, nobody eats enough fish in this country. So that's a big, and particularly kids, I would think that that's an even bigger issue because Fish sticks just aren't going to do it when it comes to omega-3 fatty acids. So, you know, I think that's, I think that's really good, you know, advice. And I, I do think that's something that has to be kind of individualized and hopefully working with a pediatrician who's more open to this and willing to do some testing, some basic testing so that you can get a baseline and really optimize your child's health. From there, But, you know, the supplements kind of brings me into the next topic that I wanted to talk to you about. Um, really this, I, I feel like there's, in addition to being more, you know, attention deficit and concentration disorders in kids, we really seem to be at the precipice of a major mental health epidemic crisis for kids between COVID and the school shootings and just the social media bullying. So, you know, you, it's so easy to bully from behind your mouse. You don't even need to bully in person anymore. So, and I like, that's where for me, the omega-3 fatty acids in particular help support a hormone in the brain called BDNF, which has actually been strongly linked with mood disorders. But what are you seeing on your end in terms of, you know, the the impact of, of everything that's going on in the world on kids' mental health? And what can we do to best support our kids in that area? Because it is such an essential part of overall health. We can't ignore it. Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. I think we do have a mental health crisis right now in our country. Um, and I think COVID did play a role along with everything else that you mentioned. And so I think, you know, what what's important for parents um, is, you know, really to learn to support their kids. So from a young age, you know, talking about these things, making sure that your kids have balance in their life. As we mentioned, they're getting enough sleep, nutrition, exercise, but really good quality time with parents where you talk openly about feelings um, and, you know, also letting them realize that if someone says something or does something that they don't feel right to then bring it to your attention and let you know so you can help them navigate through that. I feel like I see so many families where, the kids are now separate on their screens. The parents are now separate on their screens and they just don't hang out and have family dinner together and really talk. And so I think getting back to that will be very helpful. Um, it's also important for parents to really 
know the red flags that something may not be quite right and they might need extra help and support. So if your child all of a sudden isn't sleeping well, isn't eating, is eating differently, is, you know, withdrawing and not wanting to hang out with their usual friends, not doing as well in school, acting differently, then there's, that's something where you really need to jump in and get help, whether it's with your pediatrician or a therapist or a psychologist, but some sort of mental health professional, because there are a lot of things we can do to help. You know, we can do therapy, we can do mindfulness, we can try to, you know, take some of that stress out of their life by changing activities. Um, You know, we can also just talk to them and be open and, you know, really talk about feelings and ways to help you know, calm down when we feel stress. Stress is a natural reaction that everybody needs a little bit of to function, but when it's just too much and it's overtaking all day long, you, you can't go through life learning when you have this high stress level in your brain all day long. You know, it, it doesn't help. And then, of course, there's all those kids that have had these, you know, adverse um, conditions in their life, the ACEs, and that's what there's a lot of research now in these populations of kids, like how can we really help them, you know, navigate through this. What do you um, when you say adverse conditions in terms of what? What do you specifically like neglect, abuse, um, malnutrition, things like that? When you're young, um, even in infancy, can really you know affect the brain and make it change later on. So it's harder for them to to cope with other stressors. They don't grow up to be as resilient. So that's a big area of research now. Um, You know, and how can you help your kids become resilient? Because we're all going to face stressors and hard times in our life. And it's sort of knowing how to cope with it, how to get help, and then how to move on. Yeah, I think it's so it's helpful to know the red flags. Are those more focused on on the depression side of things when you talk about those red flags? Um, Or is it also depression and anxiety? Because it's like, I'm not even sure which is the bigger problem with kids these days, if, if it's, you know, or if it's just both that they're just overwhelmed with anxiety with what's happening in the world and then depressed about it and kind of you know uh, is is it both or is there other for anxiety are there different warning signs that we should be looking at or different red flags you know, I think it's both. I think there's a lot of overlap too. And I think that's why having a trained um, mental health professional really evaluate your child and do testing can make a difference. Um, you know, often as a pediatrician and especially in my practice where I spend so much time with my families, usually I have a pretty good idea of what the testing is going to show. But sometimes I'm surprised because there can be this underlying high level of anxiety that is just there in a child that we're not aware of or some sadness and depression that even though I ask all the right questions, they're not really letting me know about. Um, so I think I think there can be a lot of overlap there. I think one of the big things that we're worried about now is, is suicide, of course. And so, you know, depression and really asking about those things, you know, um, asking if your child has a plan, um, you know, things that you would you know, you would want to know. And we know that asking about these things do not put those ideas in their head, right? Um, It's just information that you need to know to be able to get them help. And that's what I talk to my patients about in my office every day, um, is really just trying to identify those that are hurting and that do need help. And then how can we best help them? Yeah, it really is. um, It's it's scary. It's scary, especially with the internet, with the access, with social media to, you know, support groups that feed into negative (laughs) 
thoughts and and you know even suicide type of behavior suicidal type of behavior it's it's kind of a terrifying time to raise children um but let's keep stay positive and focus on what we can do so in terms of nutrition and diet let's talk about one of the things and i've talked about this before with um dr goran who i think you know who wrote the book sugar proof um but what do you what's your feeling on sugar like what's and and let's be practical about it because i just you know it's impossible to cut it completely from a child's life. I mean, but so how should we be managing it better? What role does it really play? Um, Probably more in anxiety, right? Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. You have to be realistic. And I was at a theme park yesterday with my family. And yes, we did have too much sugar, maybe even some artificial food coloring, which I normally am not really a fan of, right? So, you know, when I talk to the patients in my practice, I usually first get a food diary and see what level we're starting at. Because as you mentioned, it's about, you know, what you should do, what you can do, what you will do, right? And then we try to make small changes because even small changes can make a difference. So one of the things that I find makes a huge difference in kids is what they eat in the morning. So I have certain rules in my practice, like we want a high protein, no sugar added, no artificial color breakfast in the morning. And usually my rules are no sugar, no artificial colors till after noon. So let's say I have a family that comes in and they're addicted to a sugar cereal. Well, they're not going to listen if I say, let's get rid of that sugar cereal. So I'll say, you know what? Let's move it to an after-school snack to start with, right? And let's get a high-quality protein breakfast in the morning, like eggs, nut butters, and toast, something like that. And that honestly will really help them with focus and concentration. We know that eating protein in the morning will help. We know that having sugar and things like that and processed foods and artificial foods are not going to help you. But I might start by moving it later in the day and then doing every other day and then weaning off or doing only on weekends. Like I have a no syrup on school days rule, period, right? Because that's just something you don't want to give your child and then send them into a learning environment where they have to sit still and focus and concentration, have concentrate. So I think it is about being practical, but I think in general, we do need to clean up all of our diets here in the United States. We have way too much processed foods, way too much artificial foods, and we need to get back to the foundation foods like I write about in my What to Feed Your Baby book. Um, it's the whole foods that don't come with labels, that have few ingredients, ingredients in them or that have ingredients you can pronounce. And that's really what the majority of your family's diet should be. But then of course the extra stuff, you know, is fine for fun and once in a while and for parties and activities. And I'm, I'm fine with all of that. So I'm going to push back a little bit just uh, out of questions. Like there is no cereal that has no sugar added. And cereal is a really practical breakfast that I give my kids on occasion. So, I mean, could we live with like a lower, for me, I'm looking, I, I, I don't look at one nutrient in isolation. So for example, if a sugar, if a cereal has at least three to five grams of fiber for me, I'm willing to allow like four grams of sugar, which is one teaspoon, because it's, it's not realistic to have no sugar if you're having cereal in the morning for your kids. So would that be something that you would compromise with? Or are you really ardent, you know, fixed on the on the no sugar? My cereal rule when I teach my patients to read food labels actually doesn't even have anything to do with sugar on it. I say get no 
added colors, right? No artificial colors and flavors and at least three grams of fiber per serving. And with that, you do have a healthier cereal already and there is going to be much less sugar content. So I prefer to look at the artificial colors and flavors and fiber content when I'm dealing with cereal. And then you want to have it with milk, right? Or with, because that has protein. If you have kids that eat dry cereal, like one of mine does, then let's put some nuts on the side as well, right? Along with fruit because we need that extra protein because most cereal does not have protein. And if it does, it's like artificially added in and I'd rather not have fake protein. I'd rather have real protein, natural protein. Um, or a hard boiled egg with that dry cereal then if you're not going to add the milk to it. So yes, I am practical and flexible. Um, and if, and you can also mix cereals, right? I have many of my families mix cereals. I do right? that. Yeah. I do that with my kids as a compromise every once in a while. First week of summer, like they insisted, I'm sorry, I know this is like heresy, but they insisted on Lucky Charms. So I'm like, okay, here's my deal. We get plain Cheerios, which actually have no sugar added at all. I was going to say that. Yeah. Right. And dilute yeah. and and, and so, and I'll put like a little handful of Lucky Charms so you get a few of those horrid, I'm sorry, Lucky Charms people, if you're listening to this podcast, but really the the marshmallow things, there is nothing good about them. Um, but but I was going to, so I, you brought up a good question that I want to, I don't want to forget. Milk, low fat, fat free, 2%, full fat. This is a big thing that parents are really confused about. I personally do 2% for my kids. Um, I feel like fat-free milk with the glycemic index that it raises your blood sugar a little more quickly, it doesn't have the fat to delay the absorption, isn't the right approach, even if kids are trying to lose weight. What's your take on it? So it's a great question, right? And my views on this have changed a lot over the last 20 years in practice. Um, because initially, you know, our kids had so much other fat in their diet. Yes, I was when they got to be two non-fat and my oldest still only drinks non-fat milk. I buy three different milks in my house because everybody has their own tastes, right? Um, my, I would prefer kids to drink any dairy than to not drink dairy at all. So if they want whole, if they want 2%, if they want 1%, if they want fat-free, I think that's fine. I look at all of their other um, nutrition in their diet too to decide when I'm talking to families about lowering that fat content. The other thing is whatever you get used to is what you're going to want when you're an adult, right? So that's another big thing too. Um, and do, you know, teenagers need whole fat milk? Well, some do. My swimmer definitely does, you know, but some other ones don't. So I think I'm flexible. I would just like the kids to get the nutrition in the dairy if they drink dairy. A lot of my families don't do dairy. And then we work on getting the nutrition, you know, in other places. But in general, I know we both talked about this. I am a big, you know, dairy advocate. Yeah. And I think so. I mean, that's a good point, really, is to look at the entirety of the diet to determine fat. But I think research has evolved showing that the type of fat in dairy, even if it's saturated fat, is different than the type of fat in red meat and other things that we know may be, you know, somewhat deleterious to your health. So um, I just I still feel like the fat free, I feel like you need a little bit of fat to lower, especially if you're having a cereal that has no fat in it, even if it has fiber. If you're having a milk, then having a little bit of fat to slow the rise in blood sugar and the subsequent crash, I think is going to be beneficial for school-age kids. But That makes sense. And I think now most of my school-age kids are on milk with, with fat in them. But I do still have a lot of teenagers back from when it wasn't recommended that do prefer the non-fat. And I'll say eat a handful of almonds instead, you know, on your way out the door. Yeah, so, that's a great idea. I, I I like that a lot. I like the idea of bringing in different nutrients to balance. And just one more 
more thing before we wrap up. I think, you know, smoothies are a great way um, to get kids protein in the morning. And especially, you know, you can throw in different things. I know a lot of my patients, you know, for their kids, they'll throw in frozen berries and then be able to even sneak a little spinach in and a little bit of healthy fat. Um, and it's kind of a fun way to start the day that you can get some variety too to get more protein in. Because I do, even for adults, I think getting used to having protein in the morning and a more substantive meal with a balance of healthy protein, fiber, and healthy fat really sets you up for better blood sugar and appetite control and probably concentration for the entire day. So I, I love, but I love that idea of really evaluating the entire diet, not just jumping to an answer like definitely fat-free or definitely full fat. You know, I, I think that's really smart. So other than can I make a smoothie comment really quickly? So I do prefer that families use milk or yogurt as their smoothie base, as opposed to like artificial protein powders. Also, I use smoothies a lot in my ADHD patients, as we were talking about this earlier, um, for a before bed snack, because often you need that second dinner or that after school snack in those kids that aren't eating enough during the day at school. So no, that's, that's a good point. And to do Greek yogurt. But then the problem with Greek yogurt, again, to be practical, is you have to doctor it up a little bit, right? It's bitter. And the Greek yogurt that tastes good has added sugar. So there's all these kind of compromises. I guess what it's I- all a compromise. Whatever your kids will eat, put it in the blender and then add in a little bit of what you want. Yeah. But, but, well, but back to the protein powder, though. I mean, it, what, what is it? Is there any actual data on it? Because you say artificial. I mean, it actually like something like whey protein powder or whey casein is from dairy. It's not, not really artificial. Wrong. I mean, and there's I some really. That. And in fact, that's why I use some um, clean label nutrient rich toddler formulas for my toddler smoothies. In fact, I'd rather have them use a scoop of that because that's made appropriate for toddlers as opposed to what parents are buying for themselves. So it, it does depend. And I'm not against all of that. I think it's I don't know the best ones and I'm going to get, I want to get a list from you later. Right. But you really have to look at all the ingredients and make sure there's not a lot of extra stuff that the right. kids shouldn't be having, but you're right. Powdered milk that, that way encasing, you know, could also be fine. So I think it's just, you just have to know that what you're giving your kids is appropriate for them because there's a lot of things marketed to adults that may not be appropriate for growing kids. Right. And I do, it's the same thing I counsel my adult patients is to try to find the cleanest brand possible without art. They don't need a ton of, you know, artificial flavors, artificial sweeteners. I'm really against added sugar, you know, micronutrients. They don't need a ton of vitamins and minerals added, especially if they're made for adults. It's going to be way more than your child needs. So I think that's a really important point. Um, so see, I knew we could go on for a bit. So I want to take a little break. We're going to end this episode. This has been super helpful. And just so you know, Dr. Tanya is coming back for a, another episode. Um, but it, you can find her on social media at Dr. Tanya Altman with two N's on all social platforms. Her office is Calabasas Pediatrics and her website is drtanya.com. So Dr. Tanya, thank you. We're going to have you right back to talk about even more interesting stuff in kids. And uh, thank you so much for coming on today. Stay tuned for the next episode of Practically Healthy by Dr. Molina. <music> 